0: If his madness were, were to become enthroned, madness enthroned is chaos enthroned. That's not what you want. That doesn't work. Then the whole system falls apart. Madness has its place and it also has its time. And as soon as the, the problems that caused the madness to appear in the hero or in the saint, as soon as they're fixed, he goes off into the wilderness and doesn't show up anymore. Like there's yeah. no need for it.
1: Yeah. Right? Hello and welcome to, Why Are We Talking About Rabbits? That's the podcast aimed at folks who like Neo and The Matrix feel a little bit dislocated in life. I think all of us feel that way. On this show, we talk about heavy things lightly. So we go beyond rhetorical rabbits, quickly reproduce media memes. We get into contemporary culture by looking at things from an old world historical perspective, the world before the enlightenment. This show is special. Because today we're going to share a conversation with a fantastic author, Nick Kotar, who also happens to be a very interesting human being and one who is a deacon in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, author, deacon, singer, writer, artist, Nick Kotar, coming up on Why Are We Talking About Rabbits? Hi, Nick. Good to be with you, man. How are you? I'm okay, John. Good to see you. Welcome aboard Watar. Why are oh, we talking about rabbits? Is Great a- title,
0: by the way. Love it. I- 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 thank Anything you with listen- Georgians in the story, man. Anything with Georgians. You immediately win in my book.
1: <laughs> okay. Can we? That is coming up, by the way. When we talk about <laughs> Russian uh, heroes, I'm really interested yep. in your take on that whole. That whole hero talk, but also as per Georgia, because if anybody's listening, we can get into it, but they're not the same. No, (laughs) not (laughs) the same. So let's do this. Let me read your bio, get people up, up to speed with who we're talking to. And then the Lido meter. Did you check your email? Did you get a chance to take it? I did. Yeah. Okay, good. All we need is a number. My guys, our producers are like, don't ask them all the questions again. These people are getting sick of that. So, but I need a number and then we'll find out where you you sit. So uh, this is Nick. Uh, Nick Kotar is a, well, he's a man of many talents. Nick, you got two degrees, a BA in Slavic languages and a BTH in theology. First one's from Berkeley. Second one's from Holy Trinity up in upstate New York. Uh, You're the director of, Of choral programs, the instructor in applied music and liturgics at Holy Trinity. That's in Jordanville. You're a vocal performer, a conductor, a general lover of Russian classical music, including the liturgical music of the Russian tradition. You're a deacon in the Orthodox Church and an expert translator of sacred Russian works. Author of fantasy novels. I'm not done. (laughs) <laughs> including Raven Sun, which is really nice. It's a beautiful uh series uh, of fantasy novels, a blogger and a podcaster. You're on Ancient Faith Radio thing, I think, too, right? So and you're I I, I think you're an old friend. I'm calling you that since being up at your house <laughs> hanging out with my yeah. brother up there. And it's a joy to have well, you, man. How are you doing? Thank
0: you, man. It's it's a pleasure. I'm I'm doing well. It's a uh, it's a strange time to be alive, but I've gotten to the groove, and I think I'm. I think I'm grateful for it, actually. So,
1: do you think it's? I mean, in addition to COVID, you know, the culture is already fundamentally changing. Yeah. Is it? Is actually kind of exciting on one level, right? To watch it for yeah. me to watch it shift. It's, yeah, it
0: is. <clears throat> I get I get worried because I feel like I need to be more involved in it, but that's just my personality. And uh, I think I think one needs. Equal times, uh, one needs to give equal time to just sitting around and watching it happen too and not constantly be reacting to every single uh, latest headline.
1: But, yeah, because fundamentally, I, I'm challenged by the changes. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. 50. And so, you you know, one of the reasons everyone, the people are conservative is just because they're old. It's a function <laughs> of life on one level. My, liberality, my, my 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 progressive side is still... In me as a youth and I think that's a lot of what we do with our work but yeah it's tough let's get into some of that but before we do tell us where you grew up because you're an interesting character as per our talk about old world new world where did you grow up
0: yeah well I'm sort of poster child for that dichotomy of that you know of living in both worlds at the same time I was born in San Francisco but that doesn't say anything if you look at it from that just that surface level because I didn't even speak English until I was five. Wow. Um, and the way that works is San Francisco has a big, big community of Russians. And uh, there's actually been three waves of Russian immigration starting from the revolution. And in San Francisco has, has, bear, has borne the brunt of all three waves. So the first wave is the, uh, the ones who left after the revolution, mostly people of noble birth, uh, people with uh, connections to clergy, uh, rich merchants, things like this. You know, the, the people who were persecuted by the by the communists initially. And that's where I come from, from that from that side. Uh, we were actually, my family was involved in the civil war. They retreated with the armies over to China. My grandma lived in China, she spoke Chinese.
1: Wow. Uh,
0: my mom's older sister spoke Chinese, but by the time that they moved out from there through Australia to San Francisco, that's where my, my mom was born, it was already in San Francisco. Okay. But we were in the community of mostly Russians, we hung out only with Russian people. We went to church in the local Russian church that didn't have any English in the services. And there was always a really big emphasis on making sure that uh, at home we speak Russian. Mm-hmm. And I'm continuing mm-hmm. that my kids speak Russian first too. So
1: how many kids you have three and they're speaking Russian at home yeah, well, and English yeah. when they go to school.
0: Well, okay. So the eldest is six. So he's already speaking English, but we're homeschooling him because of well, a variety of reasons. Uh, the most important one being that uh, right now being in, in in schools is not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, the middle girl is she speaks Russian and she fake she, she speaks fake English, um, so she makes English noises uh, that don't actually <laughs> add up to That's anything. So interesting. Coherent. <laughs>
1: That's so interesting. You you know why it is my my brother who we spoke to in a previous podcast? Same for his kids. Only his older mm-hmm. kids can speak English, but. He's in Greece, man. You're you you live in New York.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, they're they're fourth generation, so and they're still speaking Russian first. So it's hard, but it's possible if you really want it.
1: So we do. So I I don't want to ask that yet, but there's a really easy question when it comes to this pod and what that does to your worldview and what it does because language, as you know, is tied up Mm -hmm. with worldview and it's an expression of the soul and all of that, but Let's come back to that, because we just got to do this, okay? Just do it with me. (laughs) We do this meter test. Go back, if you haven't heard it yet, on the pod. Uh, I think it's episode five. And basically, we give a test Mm -hmm. to everybody who comes on. And the test is very scientific. And it's an attempt to find out just how new world your thinking is, as opposed to your old world. Now, I sent this to MIT. They did tests on it, Nick. And I'm telling you, they're very happy (laughs) with the specs on this test. (laughs) Okay, so we're going (laughs) to find out a lot about you. So we won't go over the questions, but the questions are designed to create a number. The number then is put into the analytical aspect of this machine, and we're going to tell you about yourself. So what was your number? It was 10. 10?
0: Uh
1: Okay. So... Let's say you had scored a four, a five, or a six, which you didn't, you're quite a bit above that level. You would have, we would have called you a shining city dweller on the hill. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's somebody who kind of, yeah, the the new world, the modern world is very comfortable for them, right? You, you trust science because you read it on Reddit, that kind of character. That's (laughs) not you, Nick. That's that's not you. (laughs) If you had scored
0: any time on Reddit.
1: (laughs) Correct. No, I knew that because of my scientific test. (laughs) But you did not score a twelve, a thirteen, or a fourteen. If you had, we would have called you the villager. Mm -hmm. That's pretty old world. That's where it's in your bones. There's a good chance that you just can't stand stay at all in a mall. You just you just combust if you're in a mall for too long. (laughs) And like places like Algeria and Ethiopia, they just love you, red carpet for you. It's, it's, mm-hmm. and it's very old, but not as old as you could be if you had gotten a 15, then you would have been the Charlemagne. And that's full oh, retro. Oh, man, I want to be the Charlemagne. <laughs> that's
0: what I wanted to be.
1: Darn it. Uh, now, you're the suburban. So here's your actual oh, – you remember, you we got this. It comes from MIT. They would say – I hate after, suburbia, man. <laughs> Yeah, I know, me too. By the way, I'm a suburban too. Uh, You feel romantic about the old world, but hierarchy is a word that sometimes you'd rather read about in a book. It feels like you should want to obey your elders a lot more than you actually do. The individual is not more important than the group in your world, and mine, by the way, except sometimes you feel a lot more important than a lot of the dumb groups you have to associate with. This is getting
0: uncomfortable, John. (laughs) It's
1: (laughs) supposed to. It's a way to lighten us up before we talk about heavy things lightly, hopefully. So that's where we are. Thanks for playing. The suburban. No problem.
0: (laughs) The suburban. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm disappointed in myself, man. Yeah, it's too
1: low, man. (laughs) Too low for you. By the way, it's also science. All right. Let's let's talk. Tell, just tell us about the Raven sun series before we get into my first question what are you trying to do with those books and do you as you write them and conceive them and as you've gone through them and to tell this this beautiful story is it old world to you is it pre-enlightenment stuff you're trying to teach us about or do you are you trying not to teach are you just trying to sort of live feel and then and just turn words into artistry that that gives people a real sense of beauty overall what are you doing with those books
0: yeah a lot of questions there john <laughs> i'm sorry uh, bad interview, that's okay right? no 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 it's good it, it gives me a a big road down which to travel well it's funny that you should mention the old world because it started out initially uh, as a way for me to make sense of a pilgrimage that i took to jerusalem um and when I was there, I was with a group of a hundred young people, and it was one of those, you know, kind of really life-changing things for a variety of reasons. Not only for, for reasons of kind of religious awakening, but for reasons of other kinds of awakening. We were young; there was a lot of, a lot of nonsense going on in the group during the, um, during the pilgrimage. A lot of mm-hmm. good, a lot of bad. Um, so it was a, it was, it was an interesting experience, and there was no way that I was going to remember all of it. So I took a, took one of those moleskin. Uh, notebooks with me and mm-hmm. I made sure to write every day. And I wrote over a hundred pages of, of stuff as I was going through it all. And it ended up being a long summer where I visited Russia and then I visited uh, Romania. I went and worked in an orphanage in Romania for that same year. So it was, it was a crazy, crazy summer. And I came back and I thought, okay, well I'm going to type it out for myself so I can have something that I can refer to whenever I'm you know down or whenever I want to remember why it is that I do the things that I do, mm-hmm. except it wouldn't come out. Like, I couldn't rewrite it. It felt wrong. It felt wrong to rewrite the, the thing exactly as it happened. And mm-hmm. it started to write itself as a story. It started to write itself as a fairy tale, um, where the main character was essentially me, at least in the beginning. And it was his kind of awakening to a larger world outside of merely his own wants and desires. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, he goes through a lot of personal angst and and uh, does a lot of stupid things. Um, but as I, I wrote it over a long time, and as I was writing, I started to work more on the um, craft of the thing. And also to, I've always been a big reader and I've always been a big lover of, of uh, Tolkien and and the Inklings and CS Lewis and those guys. Mm -hmm. And as I'm starting to write, I'm thinking, wait a minute, what they're doing is something that I want to do too, which is basically it's kind of re enchanting an experience of everyday life through storytelling. And so, no, I'm not teaching because I'm telling a story, but the stories that I tell, they're crafted in a certain way. I want them to be crafted in a way that, that provides enjoyment, but also makes you stop and think about who you are, where you are and what you're doing with yourself, mm-hmm. which I think, honestly, I think all stories need to do that. I'm not one of those people that believes that, uh, that the recipient of the story makes the meaning. That's, that's a very postmodern idea, right? The Car- the Roland Barthes, the French philo- mm-hmm. postmodernist philosopher, believed that the author, as soon as he writes a story or any content creator, storyteller, as soon as, he or she makes their story they have to let go of the of the story and then the meaning is entirely encapsulated in the experience of the receiver mm-hmm. i don't think that's true i think the receiver and the uh, producer come into a kind of dialogue and they have to work together to achieve common meaning i think there's community that is created in storytelling storytelling has always been a matter of, of community building always and it doesn't matter that now the the medium is different whether it's paper or right. podcasts or audiobooks or whatever so yes there is a kind of didactic element to my to my stories but it's almost secondary to a larger point which is i want to create a world that is beautiful that is inherently harm- harmonious and that uh, produces a feeling of enchantment and and appreciation in the reader so that they spend less time in the ugliness of the real world, doom scrolling on Facebook and wasting their time uh, trolling people on Twitter.
1: Right, right, Is there is there a moment, so, you know, I, I'm an American guy, but I fell in love with Dostoevsky, and he has yeah. a theory of beauty, and mm-hmm. I know you think about these things. I do. <laughs> is there some outcome in the reader that you hope doesn't happen, where they take away something that is fundamentally other than what you tried to do. I'll give you an example. Dostoevsky said that fundamentally my books say something about creation, that there was nothing and then there is something and that that's Mm. beautiful. Is there some premise that you're working with for your readers? You hope that something they take away is, is, is consistent. Maybe 80% of the time people read your books.
0: Um, I think what I'd like that, what I would not like them to come away with is a sense that I am the hero in my own journey and Mm -hmm. my journey is dependent on what I choose to do with it. Meaning I will go and uh, go on a journey of, of self discovery and by creating meaning for myself, I will achieve um, fullness. There's this, the, the number one selling book on Amazon right now is a, a memoir uh, of a woman coming out as gay after she has, after she had um, started a family and had kids and everything. And it's being pushed by uh, Renee Zellweger for, for her book club. So that's, that's why it pushed so high, but right. I just read, I just, I don't remember what the, what the title is. I'm sure you could find it, but basically I, I looked at the Amazon page and they have an excerpt from it, which is like, I guess the first few pages of the book and the mm-hmm. entire thing there is all about, I have been repressed by, people around me my entire life, my meaning has been outside of myself for my entire life. And when I looked into the eyes of this woman across the hall from me and fell in love with her at that moment, I realized that I needed to make my own journey to make my own meaning for myself. And everything has come out of that. And I am now full. I am rich i am and that's that's the story of course that that story is very limited and very kind of um short-sighted well, what about that, the that kind pain
1: of in- what about the pain that's inflicted yeah. in her through her choice I wonder well if that that's the matters. point yeah
0: <laughs> i think a lot of what happens in my story in my stories is people making selfish choices which end up inflicting monumental pain, not only on the people around them, but on, on the world around them. Mm-hmm. So since it's epic fantasy, you can play around <laughs> with this. And basically the choices of my characters end up destroying nations um, because you can do that uh, when you're doing epic fantasy. Mm-hmm. And But the point there isn't that I'm just kind of making a big story because I have a big canvas with, the, with which to work. It's because I actually believe that personal decisions affect the choices of nations. And it's not just for people like Hitler. I think it's true of every individual human Mm -hmm. being. I mean, what was it the social said, it's like the, the line between good and evil isn't, isn't, isn't the line between parties. It isn't the line between countries. It's the line between every single human heart. So that means by implication that every single human heart has to be worth its weight in gold. That means every choice that you make has a cosmic significance.
1: Well, I think for, in popular lore, this is the butterfly effect in some way, that, that it does yeah. matter. It fundamentally does matter. Yeah. And it also, by the way, tie this in if you can, because you're also a deacon in the Orthodox Church. There, there's an original sin concept here that's different than the the, the perhaps the, the rational, more Western understanding yeah. of the Catholic Church. But there is sort of a fluttering of sin that goes along with each decision we make, that's uh-huh. pushed out into the world. I I wonder, do you can you do you see a connection between that that woman's story and the way that it will actually it will actually uh, turn out to be repercussion in, in all the people's lives around her? Is that what original sin? Is that what sin is? Is is that is that what's happening?
0: Yeah, maybe. Um, there's certainly an aspect of that, and I think what you're hitting at here is is important, and it's something that you find in all of the fairy tales. It's the essential distinction between self selfness and selflessness. And fairy tales are great because what they do is that they, they distill really complicated life problems into really simple choices for, mm-hmm. for characters in very stripped down circumstances. So today I was working on one of my one of the episodes for my upcoming new podcast where I'm retelling Russian fairy tales. And in very obvious ways, this main character who's a young girl Uh, flaunts um, her riches uh, in very obvious ways only to make a a point and to kind of make fun of everybody around her. And it seems to be innocent and seems to have have no problems. But the the impetus for that is she wants to uh, kind of, she's the youngest child. She's constantly being laughed at. So she wants to put one up on everybody. Mm -hmm. She wants to have a moment of uh, self-empowerment, all right? in in every way and because of that she loses everything and so very clearly understanding that, that was the reason why she did it even though that's not spoken in the story but it's implied mm-hmm. she puts on a pair of, of steel shoes metal shoes she puts on a metal cap she, she uh, grabs a metal staff and and takes three metal loaves of bread which are her only food uh through this journey that she then takes and she can only find what she is seeking after she uh if she, after she wears out all three pairs of metal shoes, which is a great image for wow. taking on, taking on uh, hardship on oneself, embracing discomfort for the sake of other, not for so, the sake of self.
1: So, okay, this is great, because one of the things I definitely want to talk about. Um, so as a Russian-American and a writer and a worshiper in the Orthodox tradition... Can you identify for us and help us with this? First of all, there's two questions in this. In the, you can already tell that I do ask too many questions. <laughs> so I don't want to lose track, though. Let's start yeah. with the first one, which is, is there a character? Is there a flavor to the Russian story slash hero? Because yeah. you've actually written a book on this, right? Heroes for All Time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is I don't we don't have to say fundamentally but it's definitely different than than say the western american yeah. narrative about heroes and about stories can you feel it is it real and i guess the second one is is does that make russia old world or is it a hybrid what is russia in the old world new world conception to you and then second does that make their stories fundamentally different
0: oh totally the, the stories are are fundamentally different Um, And I think that there are different heroes in the Russian tradition. So my answer is necessarily going to be limiting, but I think to make the point that that you're trying to get me to make Mm -hmm. the, uh, the, I think the quintessential and most wildly different hero with reference to the Western heroic model is the fool. And Ivan the fool is a central heroic character in many of the Russian fairy tales and the fool saint, the fool for Christ is a central heroic figure in hagiographic uh, literature, in the literature of the lives of the saints, uh, from the very beginning of, of R- Russia's accepting of Christianity. And there's always been a lot of power that that, that, that character has had, precisely mm-hmm. because he inverts all of the established hierarchical structures, not because hierarchy is bad, but because hierarchy has stopped being hierarchy. Right. So he right. begins to do things like, well, there's a, there's famous there's famous lives of saints from like the 16th century where you have uh, one of these fools for Christ uh, who shows up in in a novel in a recent novel by Yevgeny Vitalyevskaya called Loris, which you can find. Oh, in
1: I was just by the way, that, I yeah. love this book, love, love. It's a
0: really really uh, good book. Great. But there's a story there about how well the, the, the pugilist, uh, the holy fools is that's funny enough where you have territorial. Uh, saints <laughs> fighting each other while, while walking on water, uh, Literally
1: <laughs> walking on water and boxing yeah, each other yeah. and they're saints, I mean, and they're holy. Yeah, fools. And they're saints.
0: Yes, because you have to, you have to make sure the harmony of the world is preserved. And if you walk across, you know, a line, invisible line that, you know, nobody's really determined and you've broken the harmony, you've caused chaos to flow in and you can't have that. Oh, but you know, things like,
1: fantastic. you know,
0: he'll walk by the house of a, of a, of a known sinner. And uh, he'll walk right past it and, and not do anything mm-hmm. to it. And then you walk by the house of, of a well-known virtuous person and start throwing rocks at it, right? Mm-hmm. And people are like, why are you throwing rocks at the virtuous person's <laughs> house and ignoring the, you know, the sinner's house? It's like, hello, the, in the sinner's house, the demons are inside, yeah. duh, Yep. And the virtuous person, they're outside trying to get in. So I'm, I'm helping him out. I'm getting rid of the demons, man. <laughs> great. That's great.
1: <laughs> I think of St. Zenia of Petersburg, who yeah. whose husband treats her like hell her whole life. Yeah. He dies and then she wears his clothes, sells all of her possessions, yeah. and tries to save his life by actually begging on his behalf in his clothes, which were the same clothes he wore to beat her. It, this yeah. is all upside down, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, but heroic.
0: Are you kidding? (laughs) But it's selfless heroism. It's selfless. It's it's the heroism of putting down your own personal desire. And the thing is, you know, I'm I'm thinking, I've been thinking about this a lot because I think what COVID is doing on, on some level is uncovering the, the real weakness of the standard narratives about our world, because you have to be, you have to be really bought into the narrative to think that um, the traditional heroes who are supposed to save us the scientists have any knowledge about what's going on i mean all i'm doing is is reading headlines and they're contradicting each other and themselves every five seconds and getting mad at everybody for bringing it up to them and on and on the other hand it's because all those people what are they focused on they're focused on i need to save my life i need Mm -hmm. to avoid my pain Mm -hmm. and everybody's miserable everybody's doing that and everybody's I mean, everybody's really miserable right now. We're gonna have it's only the beginning of the major mental health fallout that we're gonna have because of all this. Right. Well, if we're looking at some of the other really interesting neurobiological literature that talks about how embracing discomfort, looking outside of your own personal needs, kind of doing things that are hard and painful on purpose, does incredible things to your body, does really good things to your, to your brain, mm-hmm. and just underscores the fact that. And this is, they're coming at this from a secular point of view, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And yet all they're doing is underlining the essential reality that these heroes that that I write about are living. And that is every time I have a thought for myself, that is reason enough to cut it off and do something opposite. Right. Every time right. I want, I feel like I am entitled, I need to do this thing. No, I need to do the opposite exactly because I want to do it,
1: which is so, crazy. <laughs> so the classic American... Hero story, yeah, is the person who struggles sees what he wants or she wants, goes for it, gets it, and then the movie, you know, or the book ends with them having what they wanted, having gotten it for quote themselves. Yeah, this is rare in Russia. Starters, yeah. yeah this this is not a narrative of the hero in in Russia.
0: No, it doesn't happen, and it ha- it's a it's a function of Russia's history. Russia's Russia is a history. It, Russia's uh, history is dominated by. Very strong hierarchical structures mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so on the one hand, it, all the stories reflect that very strong sense of duty, a so, so strong sense of love for soil, love for for czar, love for church, mm-hmm. but it also simultaneously has this undercurrent of rebellion, but that rebellion is not the american kind of self-starter rebellion it's not the revolutionary war kind of rebellion it's not mm-hmm. george washington rebellion mm-hmm. it's a rebellion against the hierarchies and the existing structures when they've stopped doing what they're supposed to when they've stopped being hierarchical when they stopped oh, wow when, when they stopped doing uh, enacting the order of the cosmos on earth wow uh and so then you have the fools coming out and completely upending everything and a lot of those uh, in a lot of those fairy tales the fool becomes the king but at the end and the king dies or the king ends up doing something really stupid and killing himself by accident or something mm-hmm. like that or he gets or he gets kicked out by the people or stuff like this it
1: makes me think of Ostrov the the movie mm-hmm. the island which i showed yeah. to my class of very american 18 year olds for yeah. a number of years it was fascinating watching the uh, the cognitive dissonance there but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it was really amazing because they kept trying to figure out why I was so happy with the fool because <laughs> he was quite mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it makes me think of him because if you, if you watch that film, I, you've seen it, uh, and, and oh, yeah. folks out there, you should you should really see this film. It's it's first of all, it's just beautiful on any level. Yeah, um, it's also really informative about a Russian asceticism and Russia. I think, but uh-huh. do you notice that? Everyone sort of knows he should be in charge, the fool. Everybody <laughs> sort of knows it. In- including the man in charge, especially the man in charge. Exactly. But yeah. the fool will not be in charge. He refuses. Never. Because mm-hmm. then all of his power, well, not power, that's the wrong word. But his purpose is now, right, defeated. And- yeah.
0: And he, he might not think of it that way, but that's essentially the reality, right? I mean, He's thinking about, I need to avoid any situation in which I become drunk with power and lose my, right, my right. unique road to salvation, which is complete and utter self-denial, um, even right. to a comic extent or even to an extreme extent. But effectively, that's what happens because as soon as he would accept the mantle of the, of the abbot, as soon as he would become in charge, if his madness were, were to become enthroned, madness enthroned is chaos enthroned. That's right. not what you want. That right. doesn't work. Then the whole system falls right. apart. Madness has its place, and it also has its time. And as soon as the, the problems that cause the madness to appear in the hero or in the saint, as soon as they're fixed, he goes off into the wilderness and he doesn't show up anymore. Like there's yeah. no need for him.
1: Yeah. Right. But you could even hear my New World Rational linear thought, which was that he was doing it for a purpose for step A right. to step B to step C. Yeah. But actually, right. he wasn't he, thinking he wasn't like that at, at, at all.
0: It. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. That was a side effect.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that's, and I think that's the way even me for sure watching it the first time, because remember, I'm an Orthodox convert. You, yeah. I'm always, I think that's the very, that's the very reason for this podcast is because mm-hmm. almost every day, really every day, if I really stop, I'm constantly adjusting what I was to what I should be, which is what mm-hmm. the Orthodox faith is calling me to all the time. And it's yeah. really impossible. It's, it's really a fool's errand, except for in the foolishness, I become yeah. wise. It's crazy. Yeah,
0: and it, you don't become wise. Wisdom is thrust upon you. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. I'm filled. Right, yeah.
1: it's not me. It's not an no.
0: acquisition. It's and an you don't aff- know when it's going to happen. You can't predict it.
1: And so as you're writing in terms of the Russian hero. Um, Do you get caught up living in America? Do you become, I guess the best word is, do you become disquieted? Are Are you split as a human being living one way and trying to write about the beauty of another way? Or are there integration points where you start to say, you know what, it's pretty cool here on one level. I'm really learning a lot about who I should be from my Western existence. Or are they really... Are they stretching to a point of breaking in you right now?
0: Well, they it used to be like that. I mean, I think there was a point when I was younger, I went to Berkeley, uh, which you know it, it it was then what it is now, what it always was. But mm-hmm. you know, worldview does stretch and and I was forced at a certain point when I was in college to um, to come up against the fact that there is a very strong tension between the the worldview of the old and the worldview of the new. And there's two ways of going about it. Either you completely abandon the, world, the worldview of the new, in which case you're effectively a hermit, which might be fine in some cases, but I, I've always felt the need to have a public kind of life in terms of service. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then I can't embrace uh, a worldview or a lifestyle that is going to completely ignore... The realities of the worldview of the vast yeah. majority of people I, I yeah. encounter. So what what I've come up with, and what I'm still working on, obviously it's not it's it's going to be a work in progress, ho- progress hopefully for my whole life, is that issues of worldview are best resolved in the medium of storytelling mm-hmm. because everybody can appreciate uh, the heroic uh, narrative. Um, even even if the hero is different in, in the Western tradition and in the Russian tradition, the hero's journey is the same.
1: Uh-huh. There's yeah. a, there's a structure Let's to it. Talk about that. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's it's all the same. It's there is no difference in the hero's journey in, in Eastern, Western, African, sub you know South American, North. It doesn't matter. They're, they all have very very similar uh, rhythms to to mm-hmm. the structure of the hero's journey in their fairy tales in their legends in their creation myths uh, in the way that they see themselves and even the way that Americans with their self-starter mentality see themselves there is still an element of the of of the hero's journey Big to it it's time. just mm-hmm. it's just not complete because it it doesn't like to have the element of the of the mentor it doesn't like to have the element of the dark night of the soul and it doesn't like to have the element of their return to, to home having been changed and then changing home in the process. Right. This is something that, that the BLM and all of these social justice movements forget about is that they can be as angry as they like with as much justification as you want. Mm-hmm. But what they're talking about is external change on top of internal sameness. And that's like putting on a mask and hoping the mask is going to change the shape of your face. That mm. doesn't happen you need to change internally right. to manifest the external difference. But that's, that's hard because that means that you have to go through, you as an individual, you as a movement, you as a country, you as a, you as a race, have to go through the whole uh, cycle of the hero's journey, which includes the joy of discovery, but it also includes the pain of loss mm-hmm. and the near-death encounter mm-hmm.
1: from which you cannot save yourself. Well, it's the metanoia, right? It's the actual yes. transformation. That actually asks you to go back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One thing I'm learning about, you know, our work and trying to grow this our, our nonprofit, is yeah. it's very difficult growing up in the new world with very linear, un, linear understanding of success. Yeah, and, and and to to go back, and if we don't mm-hmm. go back and readjust to that which has come. What happens is, is we get stuck in this sense of failure. I mean, I feel it. I can lay in bed thinking we're failing. Yeah.
0: It's very because you want to have you want to have those results happening according to a set formula, and you want those results fast because otherwise, what are you going to tell your you know your supporters Bingo. and right. things like this? Right. Yeah.
1: But imagine if you were, and I'm two of my experiences big that really changed me a lot was a, a long stay in Georgia, a year and a half, where I think I'm. Mm-hmm learned how to be a man and then <laughs> living in Ethiopia. I mean, really, I mean, the things yeah. that we can talk about. But, and then also in Ethiopia, you know, it's dipped, dipped in ancient Christianity. And mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: in both cases, the, the, the sense of progress and what progress was is really fundamentally different. Yeah. I wouldn't call it circular. I, I don't think it's circular. I think Christianity is still, it's formatted as linear in, in, in the sense that there it, is it's an man. helical. It's yeah, illegal. yeah. Explain that. What do you mean by that?
0: So the 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 far eastern way of viewing the world is is a never ending circle that you can't get out of, mm-hmm. right? Which is why you need to ultimately the only way of breaking that circle is to is, is dissolution of self into whatever it is, nirvana or whatever, right? And the 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 lie of you know the light people as you call them is that there is a point at which we begin, and that point is <coughs> is low, <coughs> and we move progressively upward and outward towards a point in the future at which all human perfection will be achieved um, but the, everything about the Orthodox worldview down down to the cyclical nature of the uh, liturgical calendar the way that people interact with uh, history, the way that they tell their stories to the way that they live their lives is has a, an element of, of circularity to it because there's a definite Uh, repeating element to it we do the same liturgical cycle every year but we recognize that it's not the same day as it was last year but there's also an element of moving forward because we have to work constantly on uh, on the process of realizing ourselves that's right uh, because we are not ourselves and that's another lie that that uh, that the west is trying to sell us is that we are in some sense Uh, complete human beings that just need to be uncovered. Like all of the layers of the onion have to be Mm -hmm. unpeeled. And in the middle, there's this golden center. That's right. But the, the Christian view is more that we are not ourselves, but we can become ourselves Mm -hmm. if we engage fully in this cyclical, but forward moving.
1: Can you call it iterative? That's what we call it in our work. Mm. It's iterative. In other words, you it's both, which is beautiful, right? It's both linear in the sense that it, it does lead you up, but it leads you up after going back. So yep. it's, it's around to go up. And I wish I could draw it because I we all, it, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the key to understanding it though is, is, is that there is an end point. There is an alpha, there is an omega. Yeah. But how you get there often looks like you're going back.
0: Well, you have to go down to go up. And that means you have to go through the, through the sort of small self-death Fre- fairly frequently, if you want to have the success of the of the up,
1: right. So, so how do you do this? Because this is interesting. Because you're a writer, mm-hmm. and, and as a writer, you, there's no way you can assail the, the notion that Western literature is in some way Christian, or at least it has yeah. been, right? Because that yeah, may have been eclipsed yeah. now, and that that Christian that Christian premise, right, mm-hmm. leads us to basically. the the crucifixion and the resurrection into almost all aspects of our culture especially into our art it's become a part of what the west knows as you know this the telling of the truth in terms of art so this is a question i have but that telling comes from a very westernized christianity yeah a protestant christianity that uh, i would argue on some levels People don't like this, but it's it's heretical in a way, it leads us away from perhaps the end truth. And so if mm-hmm. that's happening where we're you and I are grasping toward to hold on to maybe something in culture that we find beautiful, which is this Christian narrative. Yeah. But if it wasn't a fully Christian narrative, does it make any sense to try to hold on to it now as it as it as it goes away? Or is it well, really we- let it burn and start from something new what what do you think is a christian in the middle in terms of your orthodoxy on this
0: well it's it's a really interesting question but it's it's uh, it's, it's very very vague and very broad and so i would i would um i would ask for clarification in terms of what exactly are we talking about when, it, when okay let's about do it. christian let's art do it. because if we're talking about the a very specific aspect of it let's say what we consider to be the good literature you know the the realistic novel of the eighteenth nineteenth early twentieth century
1: okay. as
0: the kind of pinnacle of liter- literary um culture in you know in world history in some su- in some sense because you know you can make the argument that you know the novels of Dostoevsky or the novels of George Eliot or the novels of you know pick you know, james, joyce. Artistic, james joyce james Joyce any had the kind of cultural effect like nothing else before its time so if we're looking at that then I, t- I say to you that I think that the realistic novel is dying and I think it's okay that the realistic novel is dying
1: okay so you're calling um, it realistic I got you okay I like that term
0: well because I think most people when most people are talking about literature they're ta- they're not talking about Lord of the Rings they when most oh, people, you mean
1: realism my fault okay I, yeah, thought, yeah, yeah. I thought you were characterizing mm, what I'm calling a, a Christian literature protestant christian literature as realistic that form of literature that we would assume in america growing up to be called oh look it's there's the resurrection story we're going to talk about matrix in a minute there it is i see it that's because of our christian heritage that okay i got you that type of storytelling is dying because christianity in some way is dying okay
0: i'll 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 explain what i think about that good okay i think i think that you can't i think that won't die I think it's impossible for it to die. Okay. Um, and I'll explain why. Um, the reason is that, okay, no, I will qualify that. It is possible for, for it to die. But if it does, then we're in a really, really bad state and this this culture of civilization won't last for very long. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say that is not because I'm uh, an overbearing Christian, but it's because of something that, uh, that J.R.R. Tolkien noticed about the structure of fairy tales and legends throughout the world throughout history okay he has this fantastic essay called on fairy stories and it's a bit controversial and obviously he's a christian himself so he's writing from a specific point of view but it's a point of view that is that is defensible and i think is is not only valid but very compelling he he has a his point is that there the reason that we have that we have the structure that is based on the, the crucifixion and resurrection, mm-hmm. the kind of, which is the hero's journey, right? Mm-hmm. Is because all, all stories that came before the coming of Christ were predictions, were prophecies sometimes because, because of actual prophecy, but sometimes just because of the internal, you know, pan human yearning for the Messiah. Mm-hmm. There is a Messiah, legend there's a messiah yearning everywhere yep everywhere yep. i mean there's like maybe one or two tiny little extremely extremely isolated tribes somewhere in the amazon that don't have a that don't have a messiah legend but that's probably more because of a bastardization of of a, un, an unnatural kind of development of their if you want to call it primitivity that's that's a loaded term sure. because they have they have had so little contact with the outside world but any society that has any contact with other human beings has always had a Messiah uh, story. Mm -hmm. And Tolkien says it's because either they have prophecy, actual prophecy, or because they yearn for the coming of Christ. And then every single story that reflects that same uh, gospel structure of the life of Christ after the coming of Christ is a reminder of that life. And he goes so far as to say that what happened was that the story of Christ, as in the fairy tale of Christ, shall we say, became history thereby making valid the fairy tale legendary structure and kind of making it not sanctified, but giving it its actual point of reference and its point of meaning Mm -hmm. so that every single story that reflects that same structure is going to be a better story and is going to be more successful and more resonant for more people than the stories that willfully invert that structure or try to break it down and what we're seeing right now is that there's a lot of inversion stuff that's going on in in literature in movies in everything is about breaking down the structures breaking down the the traditional storytelling um and that has been going on for about 20-30 years and already people are getting sick of it already so So it hasn't even been going on for very long
1: so this, is, this, is, this applies to the story, The Matrix. The makers of that film, the mm-hmm. Wachowski sisters now, they were brothers. <laughs> yeah. they, they've, they've said recently, I think it was just a month ago, that that story is about transgenderism. It's about becoming fully the other. Yeah. Becoming resurrected, a sense, as a man, or as a woman, in their case. Right, right. So... Because I, we use that story all the time, because we're often talking to young men and young women who are like, what's going on with my life? Yeah. And they all know this story. I had many people on the, from this pod say, oh, I don't know if you want to use that in the intro anymore. Because they're doing something yeah. really literal, right? They're like, right. are you trying to support transgenderism? or I, First of all, I'm not trying to support or not support anything. What we're trying you to know, do is tell the story. But.
0: John, honestly, that, that stuff, that TED Talk that, that Lana or whoever gave is going to be the thing that's forgotten, and The Matrix is going to be the thing that remains. Interesting. And the, the reason for that is that The Matrix is, is totally a traditional Messiah narrative, completely. Um, except they didn't bring it to its conclusion. So you can only look at The Matrix as two things, as The Matrix number one, and then the other two movies as something else. Yeah, and I think right. if, if we're talking, obviously the they were going through some really difficult stuff themselves. The directors were, as they were making this thing, um, because they, they lost handle they lost the handle of their narrative in, in movies two and three. I think everybody agrees that movies two and three are nowhere near as good as movie everybody one. Everybody agrees. Everybody, everybody. Be, and why? It's because movie one is such, so clearly following the, the traditional heroic journey. I mean, it's yep. very clearly that. It's very clear. Um, and it works on its own as as a standalone movie. You don't need to watch movies two and three. It's a so completely are,
1: self-contained story. Are we arrogant fellas no. sitting <laughs> oh, here? Yes, because we are. we're okay. like, we're, we're definitely <laughs> arrogant. <laughs> okay, all right, guilty. Yeah. But but there's a I can just hear some of my friends saying, so let me just get this straight. It just happens that the story that you believed to be true is also the story for all of human nature. I mean, all of humankind. Yeah. That worked out well for you. It did. It did (laughs) though, right? (laughs) It did. Nicholas Kotar, everybody. (laughs) No,
0: come on. Yeah. It sounds arrogant, but what I'm talking about isn't my story is better than yours. Right. What I'm talking about is let's be honest about what it means to be human. Let's be honest. It doesn't matter what our, Uh, political affiliation, it doesn't matter what our philosophical affiliations are. Let's just be honest about our basic desires and wants for our lives. And let's, let's just be honest about what are the things that make us happy? And what are the things that give us meaning? And what are the things that stay with us? All of those things reflect self-sacrifice, overcoming problems of, of selfhood versus otherhood and overcoming great odds with the help of some force outside of yourself that is not dependent on you. This is a universal aspect of life, of storytelling. It's not by accident that Christ embodies it. Christ embodied it because that is what it means to be human. And what the Orthodox believe, what what doesn't come through in the theology of, of Western Christianity is that Christ recapitulated all of human experience on purpose, not by accident. So all the things that he did and all the things that we see then reflected in our stories and in our lives, that happened because he has a very specific point to it all, which is he took it all on himself and then he ascended into the heavens and sat at the right hand of God. He is God, therefore paving a path for humanity to achieve God's status. So yeah, all that stuff, all that stuff about the Noah Yuval Harari and uh, Homo Deus and like making a a superhuman intelligence inside a silicon body, it's the same thing. They all want, yeah, well, I know, but they all want godhood. And why do they want godhood? Because that's part of human nature and it's only proven by the life of Christ.
1: So in some ways, it's only submission to that inclination that mm-hmm. creates the rebirth, that creates the joy, that creates the beauty, right? And so, yes, yeah, yeah. And in that sense, I think that's our theory of art in some ways is you have mm-hmm. to there. So, now let's, let, let's get into that for a second because this gets pretty interesting in terms of our days right now, okay? Yeah. I went to a BLM march, I went mm-hmm. with my kids. And I remember I'm married, I'm married to a woman from New York City, a black woman, and my kids are yeah. mixed. And we went. And you know why I went? Because the guy got killed in what seemed like a pretty, the uh, shall we say, unequal manner. There was something not sure. right about it. Yeah, and hierarchy I got, gone amok. It was hierarchy gone amok. And I saw what, who were there. It was very interesting because it was in Greenville, South Carolina. And you know what happened is, is there were all these prayer groups in advance. Mm. And then the leaders came out and they weren't exactly praying. They were mostly yelling. <laughs> cursive uh-huh. but what happened was is they let us and we all went and there was a degree of unity in it uh-huh. but my wife and i both came home and we both said the exact same thing but what what now like uh-huh. I, what is illumination and deification in the the new world's philosophical sort of quest what 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 are they trying to birth what do we think is being born out of the new world? I don't. I don't know ever. Do you know?
0: Well, what would you no. Think? I, I. I. don't think that anything is is going to be. Is I, honestly, I think that there are some forces, and some people who are, so, intrinsically turned off by the idea of the order through submission, that they are happy to burn the whole thing down. I'm not necessarily saying that BLM is that, but I am thinking of somebody like in like. Um, uh, Bazarov in uh, *Fathers and Sons* by um, uh, by Turgenev, or 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 the uh, you know the very prophetic, scarily prophetic novel by Dostoevsky, uh, *The Possessed*, mm-hmm. which shows the revolutionary spirit and its natural consequences. That the rev the revolutionary spirit, no matter what, no matter how noble its ends, if the revolutionary spirit doesn't acknowledge. The essential fact of human nature needing submission to a higher cause, which is outside of itself, can't be contained within itself, then it will burn everything down because it can't achieve it. And it's better that everything burn, than I can't have self-deification. So,
1: so as a divine stand-in, you're not convinced about equality as being the thing we can all work toward that's outside of ourselves?
0: look, I'm, I'm going to answer that question in a roundabout way okay. because I want to bring your attention to the fact that the response of so many people to the racial injustice has been digital blackface. Have you seen this?
1: Yeah, I have. Mm-hmm.
0: So there's this really, and that's not, that's not about equality. That's about guilt. That's about, I have this thing inside me that will never go away. that, is eating away at me so i want to do everything possible to externally cover that shame and cover that pain but equality can only come through the the faith that says there is neither greek nor jew yeah yeah because how else are you going to have it because the because this world is is it's rigged the world is rigged and human nature is rigged against us and you talked about original sin and I think if we could get back to, to that point, my, in my in my understanding, as storyteller, original sin is the inevitable tendency for human beings when left to their own devices to make the wrong choice. Yeah. And that choice not only rebounding on themselves but rebounding on everyone else around them. So unless you subject yourself, submit yourself willingly, to an impartial and objective ideal, and that ideal by definition has to be divine, otherwise it's going to be fallible just like you are, then you're not going to succeed. And this is why so many social justice warriors actually believe in the fundamental goodness of human nature, contrary to everything that they see around them all the time. So many of them, if you push them against the wall and and ask them, what do you think? They'll think, I think humans are essentially good. And all you need to do is give the proper arrangement around them mm-hmm. utopia yeah and then they'll all start acting right but we have the 20th century to prove the exact opposite <laughs> a century of unimaginable bloodshed unimaginable hatred
1: let me push you though let do me, let me push you so we come back well we go and we work and we see these traditional cultures and russia's sort of in the middle you know russia yeah, has it's, it's
0: trying to figure its way out yeah, yeah.
1: And one of the things that's, that's really evident is there's a, uh, a hierarchical, um, there's, a, there's, there's a hierarchy that exists that is oppressive. Oh, no, yeah. I don't know that any pre-enlightenment society avoided that fate. And so, so I think some people would argue, I'll just pretend. I'm not pretending, actually. A lot of me is a new world in, this, in the yeah. way that I think. What makes you think this right attempt that you're describing as ending in failure why not leave what was which was a pretty profound dysfunction in terms of hierarchy and a real lack of quote freedom now I I would take on that term we could take on that freedom's very 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 sticky wicket but a lack of shall we say opportunity Um, yeah I would rather go with that unknown than that known what's your response to that
0: I mean, you'd rather go with the, with the new,
1: the new unknown, which says mm-hmm. maybe I can do what I want and things will work out, versus the the known, which is a real dysfunctional hierarchy that oppresses people and doesn't, you know, anyway, you cut it, that allows for less opportunity anyway. At least as an, image. I mean,
0: yeah, I totally, I totally hear you. Look, I, I would be lying if if I didn't tell you that I am taking full advantage of the new unknown. <laughs> um, you know, I am largely self employed. Uh, you know the the opportunities that the internet offers for creative professionals to actually make a living would have been unheard of Mm -hmm. under the old system of the twisted hierarchies. So I hear you, I'm okay with the new world and living in it. Um, But, uh, but having one foot in the old, I am aware of the fact that what the new is doing is starting to repeat the cycle of what the old set up uh-huh. so Hi, okay. they're trying yeah. what it looks like to me is that we're trying to build another hierarchy with the same perversions of the old just with the uh, with other people on top And in, that's in what it ways, looks like, this I mean. is
1: this is jordan peterson who uh, obviously i think most people know out there he's saying you're gonna just do a hierarchy i don't care which one you're gonna choose but it's coming yeah. and you better be aware of it is that more yeah. or less kind of what you're saying
0: i mean it, that's exactly what i'm saying because we, we saw it happen in the 20th century,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: the revolutions, which were supposed to uh, equalize everything, were supposed to, they were supposed to make an interconnected world of, of, of equals, ended up in record time setting up tyrannies that killed more people than all of the twisted old hierarchies had, had destroyed ever. Like yeah. take the entire history of Western civilization yeah. and the number of deaths based on the wars of religion and compare it to World War II, doesn't, it's not even close.
1: I mean, no, the numbers that
0: people that died in World War II—it's not even close. People don't realize this. They think that oh, you know, all those people that died because of Christian hatred throughout history—that's way more people. It's not. No. We don't. We can't. We can't understand what hundreds of millions means. We don't know what that means, of death of dead people. It's not. It's not a number that is.
1: it doesn't make sense. So this is interesting. So, how would you qualify? Is is Russia new world? do you think it's yeah well there's there's
0: there's two worlds in russia there's two worlds in russia that russia is not a single world and in some sense it's always been two worlds at war with each other sometimes inside the individual human heart something that the 19th century novelists talk about all the time Uh, you know the flirtation with with you know the enlightened west
1: speaking french yeah absolutely yeah I, i bet your your folks grew up speaking french
0: I, I speak a little bit. My mom yeah, speaks more than I do. Yeah. Yeah, it's there. It's there, definitely. Um, yeah, the thing is Russia's trying to figure out what it is because it's it's just come out of of a major revolution. Uh, I'm talking about ninety-one. Uh, and since then it ha- there hasn't been any sort of stability of any kind for it to be able to figure out what it wants. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately what happened, and I'll go I'll go on record with this, even though it might not be particularly good for me as a, as a cleric of the church. But I don't think that the church did the wisest thing by allying itself with, with the government so tightly uh, at the very beginning when they were coming out of communism. Um, I, I think and there are people that, that would agree with me, plenty of people that don't, that would have preferred that the church take a slightly more independent stance as a kind of mm-hmm. um, conscience of the nation. Because what unfortunately has happened is, as as the regime in Russia has gotten um, more, what word shall we use, uh, unpredictable, um, mm-hmm. the educated elites of the in among the millennials feel no allegiance whatsoever to the old order, and all all they, all they have is what they see in front of them, and they see a church that is basically brushing under the rug many of the many of the inconsistencies. That are happening on the social, societal, and political level, mm-hmm. and they call, they cry hypocrisy, and so. So what, what happened here?
1: So what happened here with the, the big Protestant denominations?
0: It, it did, yeah. It very much it happened in Greece too, and it, it's it seems to be the sort of story of the 20th century in a lot of ways. Um, the the issue, the problem is that the, that the church seems not to have understood and not to have gotten it, and the reaction. There is a reaction even in the church to suggest that okay well maybe we should do the opposite and be friendly with the world and kind of be in the world and adopt all of the habits of the world and maybe that thereby we might
1: no kind of that's it. not the answer no no Nick, <laughs> uh, i have how about didn't this reminds me of saint john kronstadt didn't you translate a book and publish a book was that your book my life in christ uh I I didn't
0: quite translate, okay, well, uh, there was a somewhere. translation, there there exists a translation in English that is unreadable, effectively, and I was hired to fix the translation, Got it. so I'm not officially listed as the translator, I'm listed as an editor, but it was a big, big job, and effectively, it was oh a retranslation, oh I, I just, Lord. I wasn't starting from scratch, I was fixing the existing one, but it needed a lot of work.
1: Well, when you made it more readable, and it was published, and I read it, I couldn't I I couldn't stay in that space man because that book's so convicting. I mean, Lord have yeah, mercy. It it hurts it's incredible how much that book hurt me. I had to set it yeah. down and say, "No, I'm just I'm just going down here to Publix to pick up some soda." Like I couldn't <laughs> it was But he says, I'm pretty sure it's in that book or at least he's known to have said that some of what Russia what happened to the, to the people of Russia through the Bolshevik res- Revolution was because they had fallen away. He was like, Sorry, there's blood coming. And part of it yeah. is because we've brought it through our falling away of faith, yeah. I think speaks to what, what you're saying. We hope it's not happening again. But I guess humans will do things again, <laughs> won't they?
0: Yeah, I just you just hope for the for the cycles to take a little bit of time in between them. And if if we go through another cycle of the 20th century in, in the 21st, that'll almost be unfair because we just got out of it. You'd think our historical memory would be fresh enough that we would that we wouldn't you know yeah immediately re- repeat the mistakes of our parents. But you know the the rhetoric of revolution is always very enticing, especially yeah. if if your life is empty. And the problem now is that. We've embraced, you know, a distracted life because of our, um, because of our gadgets, because of our addictions to Facebook and things like this, so completely that we don't even know that our lives are terrible and that we hate them. All all we can recognize is the is the very very strong reactions that we have to external forces that push us here and there. Right, right. Um, and that's a really dangerous place to be in. It's a very dangerous place to be.
1: Well, in. we'll wind down. I got. I do want to say this. Well, there's a couple we could go on, man. I'm really this is fantastic, but I, I, have, <laughs> you, what you just said reminded me of something that's a really hard lesson, and mm-hmm. I'll probably lose half the people that listen to this right now. But something fantastic happens, or it's fantastically interesting when I'm um, in West Africa. Uh, we deal and live with and work with a lot of Muslims, mm-hmm. um, and in Islam, there's this. It's really Orthodox Christian. It's really all the traditional. It's the old world on one level, but there's this really willingness to accept the suffering, to mm-hmm. s- to stay in it, yeah, and to know it as a gift, but it also does something else. What it does is is it it keeps you quote, "poor. But what yeah. I always see is it keeps you free. And what I mean by yeah. that is in the new world, again, I think this is true, I can't say in a scientific way. Thankfully. But with all the students I've taught, because they don't stay in the suffering, they become a slave to their passion, to that mm-hmm. immediate desire for gratification. Yeah. And what they're actually doing is enslaving themselves because of an mm-hmm. unwillingness to accept the suffering. Yeah. And, and I don't know which world I don't want to suffer. I don't know, sure, don't want you to. No. Man, there's a power in it. I'm talking about some of the poorest people in the world. There's a power in it. Yeah. It's amazing. I think that goes back to the hero conversation, right?
0: No, it totally does. And just before we came on here to this podcast, I was just listening to a conversation with an, with an English guy who wrote a book about embracing discomfort in odd ways and how he was this anxiety ridden uh, guy who had panic attacks all the time. Mm. And he, he started to study ancient traditions that dealt with human, um, incompetence and human suffering and what to do with it specifically the stoics and the buddhists and he recognized that in a lot of these old world and ancient traditions there's an emphasis on embracing suffering sometimes willingly and since he was in a position where the suffering wasn't imposed from outside he imposed it on himself he started to take cold showers every day Mm. you know uh, do like ice baths uh, walk 102 miles just for the heck of it on foot as fast as he could things like this and Okay, this might be super, you know, kind of surface level stuff, but his panic attacks stopped. He 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 managed to gauge a level of self mastery that he had none of wow. before, and so what you're talking about is something slightly different. It's about it's about a way of life in places that don't have the benefits that we have that end up um, producing. Fruits that we can't because we're not poor. That's that's a provocative statement, and that's that's something that's worth talking about and thinking about for sure. And I think that's, that's why I th- honestly think that's why so many young people go out and and, and do yeah, um,
1: that's right. B-
0: both missionary work and just social work in poor places because they recognize that through that through living with them they come alive.
1: Yeah, that's definitely right. But I think of it as okay again, shallow. But I actually think it's the exact same spiritual yeah. or philosophical rule in place, which is all the new dietary fads, mm-hmm. ketosis, which I've which I've done. I think yeah. it's people literally trying to say, "I got to break." It's, I think the health comes yeah in part from the food, but it comes from having mastered a crazy diet because what you're actually doing is mm-hmm. mastering your addictions on some level. Yeah. And I'm yeah. not saying that's healthy, but you see the new world reaching out for something, something in order to, to become f- more fully whole or to become more fully human. Mm-hmm. I do think there's a conversation in there, maybe not on this pod, but there's something in there. Will you do one more last con- question for me before yeah, we go? Of course. This is a really cool one that I think some people will be interested in or not. But so in the modern world, we tend to want proof for things. In an earlier pod I talked about I uh, talked about the um the narrative found in West Africa anyway, but really all all old world cultures that basically stands in for history. And in that narrative, all these magical things happen. For instance, in West Africa, the, the, the um, uh, I'm forgetting his name right at this moment, but actually it, from the lion king, it's Simba. That's who this is. Mm-hmm. He does mm-hmm. these incredible things. Like he knocks down whole mountains with a spear, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In our tradition in the Orthodox East, you have hagiography, mm-hmm. which we know to have happened. Yeah. What what do you say to that as a writer and a real knowledgeable guy about hagiography and Russian Russian fairy tales? What's true? What should we think of as true? What should we not worry about when it comes to hagiography or stories told about the past that don't feel real? How should we get a handle on? those stories when they come to us and they're told to us to be real and true
0: yeah this is it's interesting i think a lot of people don't even think about the possibility that miraculous um the stories of the miraculous can be true and so they immediately assume it's something that is uh, made up for for a reason of domination of other and so they immediately kind of put it into a specific box and set it aside as not for me um there's a there's a wonderful 20th century um philosopher named uh, Hans-Georg Gadamer who writes about this as a kind of disease of modernity and he expresses it in this way it's like most people have a most people when they relate to history or the way that people in the past viewed their history not the, the way we view history but the way people in the past viewed both their present and their history when we're looking at them and and by reading old books or by reading hegi- hagiographies or or encountering texts from a different worldview, we don't have a conversation with them. Meaning we don't accept them at face value. We don't think that what they have to tell us has any value whatsoever. But if that were the case, and we were compare that to a conversation between two actual people in a a single room, that would be like me sitting down at a table with a notebook in my hand, asking a bunch of annoying questions of that person over there, Hmm. listening to their answer, and never answering their questions and just jotting down ideas. Like, okay, that's what you think, right? Mm-hmm. It's like Freud. and and Yeah, his, uh, that is what it's and, like. and, Yeah. And that's an unnatural way of relating to anything. So if you're not going to relate to another person sitting across from you at the table while you're having coffee like that, why are you relating to history in that way? Why are you treating the people who've come in the past as though they're stupid wow. or un- underformed or in- unable to have a fully uh, illumined and enlightened view of the world? Why not have the mind experiment, the kind of thought experiment of accepting what they have to say as potentially true and just being in that space for a little bit? Yeah. Just read it and accept it that this is what they thought was true. And just be there for a while. Because we what we forget is that other people in times past thought differently than we do. Yeah. And they were not as they were not stupider than we were, they were not less human than we were. That's not the case. It's simply not the case. They didn't live less than we did. They weren't shorter than we were. All that stuff, most of that stuff is nonsense. That's, <laughs> that's 20th, 20th century revisionism. People did not live fewer lives, a fewer years than than we did in the Middle Ages. Thank you. This is really important historically. No, they they really didn't. No, It's just if you take them, (laughs) yes, they died and there was the plague. So if you take all of them together and take the average lifespan, it ends up shortening a lot because a lot of people died during the plague and because infant mortality was higher. Yes, thank you. But they lived just as long as we did. No problems. So that's what I would say to that. Like, how does it hurt you to... Have that conversation. Even if you don't necessarily believe that person on the, on, the, on the other side of the table, just be in that conversation for a while and see what it does to you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt. That's what happened. I mean, I can I can recall all the times in West Africa and still today with the other guys who are there now. As soon as the story talk starts from the griot, you're thinking, as soon as you make that face <laughs> and you think yeah. something's off, you, you now, you, you're not bathed in it. You're not able to actually participate in the story and what you end up doing is killing it. Right. And yeah. You think, you think of like dissection, you know, even in the yeah, dead exactly. body, there's a whole, there's a whole reality. There's a whole, I, I don't say a living reality, but there's a living spiritual reality. Even in the dead body, you got to yeah. watch out what you're doing there. So that's yeah. interesting. That's interesting. Well, maybe we want to do it again because I promised the guys I would, wouldn't go over an hour and i did <laughs> <laughs> anytime john this is, this is fun i enjoy talking um, to you tell folks if there's one thing you want them to go and take a peek at right now in terms of your many artistic endeavors and i'll put this in the pod notes too what, what are you thinking right now what's coming out
0: well, go, go to my website, nicholaskotar.com. That's the hub for everything that I'm doing. Um, there's a bunch of stuff coming out over the next two months, including a new podcast. Um, but all of that is centered uh, on my website. So you can find all of it there.
1: Okay, super. Super. I appreciate it. Um, maybe off, off air, we'll talk about, I wrote Three Souls some time ago, but I'm putting it out again. And I'm getting that same, I want to hear how you deal with this. I'm getting that same um, deep sense of not being able to live up to the words. In other words, (laughs) insecurity Uh super interesting. As I go, go buy my book. I'm like, or or not? There's other things to do. You can watch Netflix. <laughs> That's good too. I have no idea why this happens to me with when I write. But. So good talking to you, brother. It's normal. <laughs> it's a, Thanks, it's normal. It's normal. Thanks so much for coming on, and uh, I'll talk to you, man. God bless.
0: Okay. Bye bye.
1: Wow, lots happening there. Thank you, Nick Shenis, Guggy Marjos. That means to you the victory. That's often said at the K P table in the Georgian Republic. That's our pod for today. We didn't get a chance to talk about Georgia. Thank you for coming along. Watar is produced by Andrew Shork and Daniel Paternos, And our pod is brought to you by the creators of First Things Foundation. That's our nonprofit that lives and works in some of the world's most distressed neighborhoods. We immerse there in order to create momentum for local change makers, folks we call impresarios we work on behalf of their vision of a better life share watar with friends hit us up with a solid review on itunes and everywhere you get your podcast your love for us allows us to love and serve others not hasta luego cambufo au revoir all of that peace out